everybody and welcome to Murder Moms. I'm Maggie and this is Janessa. Hello. Uh, how have you been, Janessa? I have been well. Stressed, but well. Yes. The difference between our recording and our releasing is about six weeks, which some sharp-eared listeners may have figured out when our last episode was... I say our last episode. Uh, our... Puente episode was talking about the holidays. So in recording time, the attempted coup was last week. Mm. And we released our special edition episode with our thoughts and feelings about it yesterday. And today, the potato head was impeached for the second time. So he's finally better at something than every other president. So that's true. Congratulations. I guess. I mean, I'm going to congratulate him. That's a... Good job at being awful. Horrible. So, Janessa's case last week was super dark and super heavy. And to offset that, I decided to give us a little bit of a palate cleanser. I'm never going to live this down. (laughs) It was bad. It was... It was sad, and it was a horrible case, but it wasn't badly presented. No, no, no. It it wasn't. It was just real dark. And I know, like, murder isn't a game, but it wasn't one that we could just kind of, like, banter about. Yeah, that's true. So I decided that uh, time plus tragedy equals humor, and... We are going to throw it back all the way to 1806 and talk about the Yorkshire Witch today. Ooh. I thought you might like that. I do. Mary Harker was born around 1768 to a farmer and his wife in Assenby, North Yorkshire. She had a comfortable childhood, but developed a love of stealing at age five with the theft of a pair of shoes. By the time she was 12 and became a servant girl, she was an experienced thief. Because, of course, what are child labor laws? And kids went into the workforce at 12. Of course. Yeah. She was of a, quote, knavish and vicious disposition. And her thievery cost her job after job. And eventually her reputation made it impossible for her to get hired at all. So everybody in her town knew, like, she's a thief. You can't hire her. You're going to lose your stuff. So since she couldn't get work in her hometown, she moved to Leeds in the late 1780s. And there she got a job as a seamstress through her mother's friend. And as fellow uh, Yorkshire women were doing, she also started a side hustle as a witch. And she amazing. She would tell fortunes, brew love potions, and remove curses from servant girls, and sometimes even their employers. And she made a real good living from this, but displayed a, quote, pathological need to steal. Hmm. Yeah. A sewing business going. She had her witchy side hustle, but she still needed that rush of taking something. It's an addiction. Yeah. And she wasn't real good at stealing at first because she was caught several times and had to buy off her victims to avoid prosecution. In 1792, she married John Bateman, who was a wheelwright. She married him three weeks after meeting him. 
which I feel like is fast even for... My maternal grandparents went on three dates, and I think they were engaged after three weeks. And then they married, like, three... There's threes. I don't know. It's a thing about threes. My mom hmm. can tell you. Uh, but I think they were married at the latest, like, three months of knowing each other. And that was that was in the, I don't know, 1949, 1950s? I don't know. But this is... <sighs> three weeks after meeting him. John, however, regretted this decision when he found out that Mary was a thief and conned people. They were constantly on the move to escape discovery and punishment. She would steal from their landlords all the time. And so they would have to run away before they got caught because that implicated him, of course. Even after they had from one to four children, depending on the source, mm-hmm. it didn't stop her. She just, she had to steal. One time she tricked John into thinking that his father was seriously ill and while John was away to check on him she sold his clothes and his furniture to repay victims who were threatening her. So this poor guy gets tricked into thinking that his dad is seriously ill and he was the town the town crier for the town. I, I didn't write down which one it was because it's in Leeds and that was the more important part. Dad's like, I'm fine. He turns around and gets home and all of his clothing and all of his furniture was gone. And his wife's like, we gotta go. <laughs> that was, I don't know. Man. That's gotta be so fucking stressful. Well, within months of being married, she had made John so crazy with her criminality and having to move to escape prosecution that he straight up joined the army and left her to her own devices. <gasps> no fucking way. Like, he eventually comes back. It's, it just said comes back from the army. So I guess he was uh, discharged. <laughs> and he just was just like... Like discharged I... or like he got back from a tour? I don't know. All, okay. All any of them said was when he got back from the army. Okay. So he like <sighs> literally was like, um, I can't right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> he was like, I know that we have a kid... <clears throat> I'm going to go join the army. Now, I didn't I didn't look up what a wheelwright did. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're the ones who like just make the wheels or if that's one of those weird job titles that it looks like it's one thing and it's something totally different. Okay. But whatever this thing was that he did, uh-huh. he was like, I'm going to go to the army. I don't love this job. I don't want to deal with you. I'm going to the army. (laughs) And it wasn't, like, out of necessity. I think that's what I was trying to get to. It's not that it was out of necessity. Like, he just was like, I don't... I don't want to be here. (laughs) The only necessity was the need to get away from her. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Because he had a perfectly fine trade. Okay. I'm going to say trades. They moved a lot, but he was a wheelwright, so he had a trade. Yeah. He didn't have to join the army, but he he did. He just joined and left. He didn't have to. He just had to. By Felicia. Generally, though, Mary was pretty clever, and when she sensed that she was losing her charm, she would move on to a new group of clients who had never heard of her, because Leeds is fairly large. Her marks were anxious and sick, and she offered a magical answer to their problems. Mary appeared kind and well-connected, so she nearly always had customers. I feel like I'm going to develop a fondness for this woman and her witchy behaviors 
only for you to turn this on me <laughs> and make me feel bad. <laughs> I don't. I didn't plan for it to go that way, but okay, it but might. You... <laughs> okay, but like you, the way you have written this, um, you're definitely intentionally leading. I'm not gonna say listeners, but particularly me, because you're you're hitting on my <laughs> my weaknesses. Your need to be left alone. I mean, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> this is a podcast about true crime. <laughs> Mary roamed the streets of Leeds. This is so. This is a few of the cons that she pulled. She roamed the streets of Leeds after a major fire, begging for money and goods for victims, but she kept all the donations. So that's, like, one mark bring her down in your estimation. Uh-huh. A woman believed her jailed husband would be sentenced to death, and Mary told her she would save him for four pieces of gold. Another woman was tricked into believing her husband was having an affair and gave everything to Mary who promised to put a stop to it. Okay, but... Did she? No. Another woman paid her to keep her husband faithful, and then to protect her daughter's virtue, and then to have her husband return from the army. However, he died, and the woman drowned herself. Holy shit! Better now? No. No. Oh, gosh. It's too long ago. You have no steaks. I have no steaks. I'm vegetarian. See, no, I'm not. This, I fucking love meat. This is... This is why I wanted to have one that was so long ago. <laughs> it was like, we have no stakes. Around 1800, Mary began claiming that she worked for the entirely fictitious Mrs. Moore. So, you're, you might want to take in, some notes. Me take notes? You're going to want to take some notes. Okay. We're going to get into uh, some, some people. Okay. So, we've got Mary. And she made up Mrs. Moore. Okay. Okay. So according to Mary, Mrs. Moore was the seventh child of the seventh child and was capable of, quote, screwing down or supernaturally binding those who caused her clients harm. Eventually, Mary also began pretending to be the go-between for a Miss Blythe. Okay. Is Miss Blythe also fictitious? Yes. Great. So Mary made up Mrs. Moore and Miss Blythe. Good. Perfect. <laughs> Clients started flocking to Mary's home to have their fortunes told. She took their names and payments and delivered it to Miss Blythe and then passed on her pred predictions to the clients along with any charms that the psychic thought might aid them. Mary sold a variety of magic potions and charms claiming they could ward off evil, repel curses, and cure illnesses, and she also served as a part-time abortionist. Dope. I don't... <sighs> I wanted you to write them down because they pop up a lot, and I refer to them in the as if they're real people. No, you're fine. I don't want to say that women are better at murder. I just think that their techniques are more clever. Well, this is just fraud. Yeah, but I'm just talking about, like, in general, I just feel like women have had a need to be more creative. Mm-hmm. I read a post a couple weeks ago, and it was like a am I the asshole kind of post. Oh, yeah. And um, 
It was something like, I found out my wife has a slush fund, and every year she puts $1,000 in it, or 10% of her income, or something like that. Okay. And I'm real upset with her, and I came at her, and I was like, what is this? And I'm going to take, you know, 10% of my income and put it in a secret slush fund. And she said this in case she wants to run away, and I was like, that's crazy. And now she's sleeping at her sister's house. Yeah. And the comments were like, no, that's a real thing. Like, a lot of women have that in case something happens where, like, the guy hits her or he dies or whatever. Yeah. And, like, this woman had had this for so long and he just, like, comes at her so quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is... She kept that secret. You had no idea that exists. And so many women have it. Mm-hmm. And men have no idea that this is even a thing that exists. Yeah, my favorite argument um, when it comes to, like, women's reproductive rights and mm. all of that is, well, women used to be able to keep their families together. And I'm like, well, first of all, Susan, uh, no, they couldn't leave. Mm-hmm. They had nothing to get them out. They had no way, no money. Mm-hmm. Most women didn't have any education past high school or any any job skills or anything, so you should probably sit the fuck down. Yep. Women, unfortunately, just had to stay in shitty relationships with horrible men. Yeah, they had no, no recourse to get out. In 1803, Mary started killing people. There she goes. <laughs> She'd befriended three women from the Kitchen family two Quaker sisters and their mother, and sometimes helped out in their drapery shop. She did her fortune teller and Miss Blythe routine with them, and when one of the women fell ill due to a mysterious cause, Mary prepared special powders to nurse her back to health. However, all three women were soon dead. Okay, but it wasn't weird that this woman moved in and then... I don't know, she was being helpful. Like, she was their friend. She helped them in their drapery shop. I'm sure. Mary blamed the deaths on the bubonic plague. Ah. And so the people, the townspeople didn't dispute her. Maybe they were afraid of being infected. Maybe they were afraid of her powers. They were just like, oh, bubonic plague? And you took care of it? Sure. Sure. That's all you, friend. After the kitchen women died, the creditors started looking into their estate. You know, as creditors do, like, gotta pay off the debts. And these creditors found that the house had been completely stripped. Their drapery shop was completely bare, and the account books were missing. So she robbed them. Oh, she, she, yeah. They they died, and she was just like, this is all mine now. And took everything and, and left. And for whatever reason, they did not blame Mary. Okay. So we can just take whatever we want now when we're white, huh? Was that ever a question? No, it wasn't. Around 1806, Mary began predicting the end of days with the, quote, prophet hen of Leeds. That's amazing. Piggybacking on the popularity of self-proclaimed prophetess Joanna Southcott. One of Mary's hens began laying eggs with the phrase, quote, Christ is coming. In Sharpie? I'm not telling you yet. Okay. I'm going to guess probably not Sharpie specifically, but... We're going to get there. Mary announced that the chicken was going to lay 13 more eggs, and the last one would mark 
the start of the apocalypse, like end of the world. Thousands of people came to see this chicken. Oh my God. It is Charlotte's Web though. And you could come see it for only a penny. People could also buy a token to be spared from the coming apocalypse, a special little token she made, and be guaranteed to enter her heaven for only one other penny. So fun fact for you guys, <laughs> I used our D&D group to crowdsource this math because it was deceptively easy. I had the right answer. It didn't look right. So I said, hey guys, help me out. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. When you put it in the group chat, I looked at it and I was like, why does she need help with this? And then everybody had their same answer as me. And I was like, why did she need help with this? And you were like, okay, that's what I got. But it was really easy. <laughs> I was like, what is happening? But yeah, because so I was trying to figure out for this and I was like, it's not even a whole pound. I don't, I don't get this. So our, our D&D groups crowdsourced the math and a penny in 1806 comes out to a, about a buck 25 in modern American money. So not only did we do the inflation rate, I also then calculated it from British to American money. Yeah. So yay, I know how to Google things. Yeah, you, you did a good job. <laughs> yay me. So uh, that chat thread is going to be a Patreon exclusive. And so if you want to see me being terrible at math and uh, Janessa calling me a dumb bitch at least once. <laughs> did I for real? I think you did. Oh, that sounds like me. <laughs> Check out our Patreon. So in reality, of course, this go mark to Mary. This is not what was really happening. Yeah. Mary was riding on the eggs using vinegar so the acid would... That is so witchy. Etch into the egg. And then she was reinserting the egg into the hen's oviduct. Oh, no, that poor sweet babe. So that it could be freshly laid in front of an audience saying, Christ is coming. Oh, my God. This is so weird. Okay. Oh, boy. She was discovered when a suspicious local doctor spied on her and alerted the authorities. She wasn't punished. But it did end her hoax. Did she have to pay everybody back? It didn't say. It says she wasn't punished, so I'm going to say no. And this is my new favorite picture of all time. It's Mary and an egg. It is. And a bottle of vinegar. It says, Mary Bateman, commonly known as the appellation of the Yorkshire witch, copied from the only print now extant. And it, I just find it really funny because it's a wood chair and Mary is sitting in the, in her Victorian garb and she's holding out an egg that says Christ is coming, but she's so just like nonchalant, like blase about it. It's not like the end is nigh. She's just like egg. Yeah. It's an egg. Yeah. I like it. Here, egg. Please take my egg. Look at this egg. I make egg for you. <laughs> <laughs> egg delicious you enjoy it's so funny to me not the animal abuse part but like the egg part yeah oh mary also in spring of 1806 william and rebecca perigo a well-to-do middle-aged childless couple also came to mary because they'd been put under a quote evil wish and needed help lifting it why do people keep coming to mary because she's you know, 
charming and she's got a good reputation. Mm -hmm. I can't argue that because I feel the same way. She was famous at that point because of her chicken and... Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Rebecca was complaining of chest pains and or a fluttering in her side and or a fluttering in her chest, depending on which source it was. But somewhere in her torso was some weird feeling. Okay, sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> she also claimed to be haunted by a black dog and other spirits. A doctor had diagnosed witchcraft and said he couldn't help her, and Rebecca's niece referred the couple to Mary. Mary referred the case to Miss Blythe. You remember Miss Blythe, right? Uh-huh. All right. And she agreed to help. So again, Mary and Miss Blythe are the same person. Yes. Miss Blythe told Mary to sew silk bags containing guinea notes into the corners of Rebecca's bed. These guinea notes are donated by the Paragos, of course, and okay. they should be remained undisturbed for 18 months. And according to Google, a guinea is about $1.50 in today's American money. Okay. So they had about a buck fifty, you know, at each corner of their bed. Yeah. Miss Blythe kept demanding more and more elaborate magical supplies besides money, including china, silver, tea, sugar, cheese, which sounds like something I would ask for, <laughs> and also a new bed for herself. And the Paragos always complied, and then they burned the letters so that the evil spirits couldn't read them. After giving over a small fortune, Miss Blythe sent a letter containing the following premonition. Okay. Quote, My dear friends, I am sorry to tell you, you will take an illness in the month of May next, either to one or both, but I think both, but the works of God must have its course. Unquote. So that's the note she sent them. Okay. To help offset this illness, Mary gave the couple special powders to sprinkle into puddings and to be eaten with a special pot of honey. The instruction said to destroy any pudding they didn't finish and that no one else must take the magic powder and honey and they must not summon a doctor because it would make the magic illness worse. Very important instructions. Follow them to the T. Okay. So don't share them with anybody. Make sure you destroy it. And don't summon a doctor, no matter how you're feeling. Yeah. That's not suspicious. No, it's fine. Yeah. Obviously, Mary was poisoning them. Yeah. (laughs) After about a week, the puddings tasted differently. And William later said that, quote, A violent heat came out of his mouth, which was very sore, that his lips were black, and that he had a most violent pain in his head, 20 times worse than a common headache, and everything appeared green to him, unquote. He also suffered from a, quote, violent complaint in his bowels, unquote. Oh. Because of how it affected him, William didn't eat the magic food as prescribed, but Rebecca was more faithful and regularly ate the pudding. Huh. She was like, this is what I was told to do, this is what I'm going to do, and he's like, this is nasty. Yeah. No, thank you. I would rather die from mystery illness. Rebecca died in May of 1807. William afterwards had some suspicions that she'd been poisoned and gave some of the potion to the cat, which promptly died. Oh, my God. After the cat died, Mr. Perigo 
went and confronted Mary, mm-hmm. but she put on <clears throat> such a show of grief and righteous indignation that he dropped the matter completely and went on paying her to avoid being struck blind for showing doubts. Okay. This went on for two more years where William was taking the potions and paying Mary in cash and his dead wife's clothes. So why? Well, she said she would curse him. Yeah, but what's her obsession with clothes? In that time, you have money, but you also had bartered with stuff. So, like, you could... Clothes were worth money, as opposed to being like, yeah, you can have my jacket, yeah, whatever. I see that. Clothes were worth something. You wouldn't be like, take my, you know, gingham sense. skirt or whatever. Finally, William started wondering why all these payments and gifts to Miss Blythe had never done much good. And one day he undid the silk purses that Mary had sewn into Rebecca's bed and he found dried cabbage leaves and small change instead of the money he had given to Miss Blythe. William confronted Mary, who tried to play it off and told him that he just opened the bags too soon, to which he sassed back, I think it is too late, which I thought was awfully sassy. And he said he'd come back the next morning to settle things or under the pretense of buying more potion, it depends on the sources. But in either case, he brought Constable Driffield, who hid nearby. Mary tried to flip the script on him and say that William was the poisoner, and she even said, quote, that bottle which you gave me yesterday night has almost poisoned me and my husband, who is ill in bed in consequence of taking it. But when she dropped that line, the constable popped out of his hiding place and arrested her. Oh... Mary was carrying a bottle containing a mixture of oatmeal and the arsenic, and the search of her house turned up things that the Perigos, that the Perigos had given to Miss Blythe. Uh, they turned up poison and other personal belongings of her victims. And then I have a, another photo here. I say photo, but again, it's a drawing of her making up some potions. I love it. I think that looks so freaking cute. And then there's. Uh, hanging in the background. I love it. So the caption that was originally on it, I don't remember what, what it was, um, but the caption originally on it said something like, uh, that could be Mary in the back, uh, foretelling or something. But she's there with her red dress and her clothes and she's making up some pudding for William who's in his little top hat and his yellow pants. It's great. I love it. It looks like she's just a little kitchen witch. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a fun one to put art in for our newsletter, which you should subscribe to. i got to figure that out. Mary's trial took place at York Castle in March 1809. Her whole defense was deny, deny, deny. It was reported that she, quote, looked very plausible, sedate, and respectable. However, witnesses came from across Leeds to give evidence of extortion. And then the deaths of the kitchen women took on a more sinister cast. Next, it came out that there was no no Miss Blythe or Mrs. Moore, and Mary had, in fact, made no attempt to hide or change her handwriting in the letters she sent. That's how I figure out Santa wasn't real. <laughs> Mine was that uh, he used the same wrapping paper as my parents. A doctor analyzed the honey that the Perigos were eating and found mercuric chloride, which is mercury and acid. Like, not great. Yeah. The bottle in Mary's possession when she was arrested contained rum, oatmeal, and arsenic. So, 
they were speculating that she was going to give it to William and it was going to be like his final uh, meal. Uh-huh. Take him out. The trial for Mary lasted 11 hours, but the jury only took a few minutes to find her guilty of fraud and the murder of Rebecca Perigo. The judge sentenced her to death. <laughs> And she immediately tearfully claimed that she was 22 weeks pre- uh, pregnant and so unable to be hanged. Good try. She had been stoic the whole trial, and but this time she just burst into tears. The judge then asked the sheriff to gather a panel of matrons to assess Mary's claim. And one of the articles I read, they said that some of the matrons, which are, are just married women, were like trying to sidle out of the building like Uh no 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 and the judge had to order the doors to be closed and locked so that they could get married women out of the crowd to go do this because nobody wanted to go do it oh my god because you had to inspect her yeah 12 married women were sworn into the jury and conducted a physical examination on her finally concluding that she was not pregnant and was able to be executed mary continued to claim her innocence while at the same time, she made magical charms for the other inmates to, and uh, promised releases and stays of execution. Oh, my God. So she, she... She could not... Can't stop, won't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. William Knipe, who wrote one of the most comprehensive accounts of crime in Yorkshire ever published, suggested that Mary was married, which we have established, and had a daughter at home as well as an infant in prison with her. Supposedly, she mailed her wedding ring to her husband to give to her daughter. That was just one account, but he did do a lot of research uh-huh. for that time. Uh-huh. But again, like I said at the top, like she had between one and four kids. So, it could just be speculation. Mm-hmm. Mary was hanged three days after her trial on Monday, March 20th, 1809. 5,000 people came to watch the Yorkshire witch hang. She protested her innocence to her last breath. And some folks believed her and hoped for a miracle to save her, which of course never came. And she was 40 years old. This is where it gets interesting again. Not that it hasn't been interesting, but... <laughs> Afterward, her body was put on public display at the Leeds Infirmary to raise money for charity. The public paid three pence, which is about three seventy-five in today's American money, to view her remains... And they raised about 30 pounds, which is about $3,332. And this was going on until she was dissected. Ooh. Tickets were sold to thousands of people to watch her dissection, which raised another 80 pounds, which is equivalent to about $8,887. Dried and preserved patches of her skin were then sold as souvenirs and magic charms to ward off evil spirits. Oh my god. Uh, I'm not saying that I want that, but I want that. That sounds fucking cool. This was actually fairly common at the time to try to dissuade people from murder. They would do this to people. So to dissuade people from murder, they would give away your body parts? Yeah, sounds like it. All right, cool. Uh, (laughs) I'm here for it. (laughs) Two books were commissioned to be covered in Mary's skin. One is Sir John Cheek's Hurt of Sedition, How Grievous It Is to a Commonwealth. It's from 1569. And Richard Braithwaite's Arcadian Princess. 
1635. Both are now lost. Somebody lost this woman's skin? I know a couple people lost these skins. Yeah. Her yeah, skin. Come back and haunt you. <laughs> her skin was also uh, taken to create a folding cup. Her tongue was removed and pickled, and part of her skeleton was articulated and displayed. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Did you say her tongue was pickled? Yes. It was destroyed because it was deemed too gruesome. In like the, I think it, the article said the 1960s. Oh, okay. I was like, I was like, wait, they're going to tell you it's too gruesome. Then they did it. <laughs> and I have some pictures. Oh, good. My favorite part. These are actual photos. One is her. One is the skin cup. That looks like a ball sack. <laughs> I'm glad you thought so, too. When I first saw it in the little thumbnail, I was like, do I need to turn safe search on? <laughs> yeah, that, that looks like a coin purse. Uh, if you if you will. Also, uh, those bones are fairly well preserved for their age. There's a reason for that. Okay. Mary's skeleton and death mask were on display for over 200 years. They were first housed at the Leeds Medical School and were used for anatomy classes. Then they were at the Thackeray Medical Museum in Leeds until 2015. Did you say Thackeray? Thackeray. Like Thackeray Binks? Like Thackeray Binks. Hot damn. Right. <laughs> All right, go on. Sorry. Then moved to the Leeds University's anatomy department, where they are now in storage. This final move was brought on by changing public attitudes, and I guess they decided it was rude to show her bones off. And this is a different view of her skeleton, and then also like a 3D scan of her death mask. Oh, shit. That's fucking cool. I like her death mask. They did a 3D scan on it? Mm-hmm. She looks... I don't know. I know you said she was not even 40, but I don't think they should have made her look so nice. Like, she looks super peaceful. <laughs> I don't know, but her bones do look, they look really good. Yeah, they were all taken care of for over 200 years. Yeah, for real. Yeah. That should, that should be a privilege to have your bones so cared for. Yeah. And uh, her death mask, I mean, she looks like a white lady. Uh-huh. Mary is Yorkshire's only known female serial killer. A BBC program about her had her skull get laser scanned to show what she may have looked like which is actually what this is this isn't her death mask this is what she would have looked like that source was wrong <laughs> <laughs> um, but the show is called the people's detective number one which i actually have a link to that show oh really? we could watch it Ooh. bonus episode that's mary for you mary bateman i hope it helped after yeah. last week yeah i'm sorry <laughs> That was definitely my fault. Well, now we can get back to more modern, more, uh, something we have a little bit more stakes in. Yeah, yeah. I'm offended <laughs> that you used my weaknesses against me. I feel betrayed. <laughs> I didn't do it on purpose. Well, you didn't do it on accident, did you? Well, I mean, it was either this witch or the witch that, like, birthed bunnies. Let me let you guess how she did that. I don't want to. <laughs> I think I've seen an episode of South Park that's really similar. <laughs> Just off the top of my head. But, alright, well, shit. We're staying on women serial killers now, I guess, huh? What is your next one, a woman serial killer? I don't know. I haven't looked yet. I have two weeks. <laughs> you procrastinate all the way to the end? As I do. Mostly get it finished. 
so <laughs> I don't see a problem there, do you? That's the real reason you don't want to give us any previews or, or highlights or anything. It's not so that I can't figure out... Uh, it's, no. it's not so that I can't fill out our schedule. It's because you <laughs> don't have it. I'll have you know that I actually send my ideas to Javon, so that way I can go back to them. So I do have... I have things written out. Mm, um, okay. I just haven't decided on which one but yeah i i definitely do that i'm not gonna i have a google doc for that yeah i could probably do that and avoid my husband being like why are you sending me this (laughs) it's payback for the (laughs) death notes no it's payback for all the fucking i woke up like 25 (laughs) tiktoks the other day and i came out and i was like pop fault i was like pop how many tiktoks you sent me last night and he was like oh i don't know a few why hold on let me see why and i was like no (laughs) How many TikToks did you send me last night? And he was like, "Oh, is it a lot?" <laughs> but yeah, that is that is my fault. I can't go in there. Delete it from his phone and see what happens. Delete it from his phone and see what happens. Make it a he TikTok. Would, he would just re he would install it and be like, "Hey, my phone is being really weird. Is yours?" Like he would not have any thoughts or questions on it. He would just be confused. He actually today I got home from the store. I was coming home from the commissary, right? Mm-hmm. And I pulled up and I opened the garage door, and then the garage door closed. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck? So I did it again, and it did it again. Like, three times in a row. <laughs> it did this shit. Right? Mm-hmm. And then it finally just opened. And I was like, that was weird. And so I called Javon, because I'm, like, worried that I'm gonna die. Sure. And I asked him, like, hey, uh, were you just messing with me? And he was like, what? Were you, were you messing with me? Because the garage door was doing some weird shit. Like, either we need somebody to come out and fix the garage door, or we need somebody to come out and get the poltergeist out. Yeah. And he lost it laughing at me. And he was like, no, it was me. <laughs> he was like, I just happened to be in the garage when it started opening, and I was leaving, so I decided to fuck with you. And I was like, oh, wow, thanks. Appreciate that. Thanks for tuning in to Murder Moms, since that's all I have for you. And if you like what you hear, like and subscribe to us. And our sources and more information and any corrections we have, subscribe to our newsletter. Um, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's all at Murder Moms Podcast. Mm-hmm. Usually when we put up a new episode, we'll post to there immediately so that way you know that it's up before your podcast catcher will we'll pull it and alert you. We post every second Monday, so every two weeks. Yeah, be sure to subscribe to our newsletter. I work really hard on it. And also our Patreon. Yep. We also have merch. We have stickers. They're available at... My Etsy shop, which is Hecate Handmade Shop. There will be a link in the newsletter. So you have to subscribe to our newsletter. Or you can ask us. Also, you know, that's fine too. If you need to send us any corrections or you want to say hey or be nice to us. Tell us how you're doing. (laughs) Um, Our email is murdermomspodcast at gmail.com. You can only send us nice things, though. No mean things are allowed. I guess that's it for us. And we will see you in two weeks. Yes, for me. And it won't be so depressing that it'll still be crime. All right, guys, thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks.